We're starting a new series called Build Your Church. Build Your Church. And this is rather a prayer than an instruction. This is not me telling you to build your church. This is me praying to Jesus, build your church. Build your church. Let's go to Matthew 16 right away and start off with a portion of scripture from verse 13 to 19. It says the following, Jesus came into the country of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his followers, who do people say that I, the son of man, am? They said, some say you're John the Baptist and some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the early early prophets or preachers. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, you are happy because you did not learn this from man. You are blessed as another translation because man did not reveal this to you. My father in heaven has shown you this. And then he said, I tell you that you are Peter. First he calls him Simon. Then he calls him Peter. On this rock I will build my church. The powers of hell will not be able to have power over my church. I will give you the keys of the holy nation of heaven. Whatever you do not allow on earth will not have been allowed in heaven. And whatever you allow on earth will have been allowed in heaven. This is a real important portion of scripture in the Christian faith because it reveals so many things here concerning the future of the believers that Jesus would, um, would grow out of that group of early disciples. First, Jesus says, I will build my church. It is not us who build the church of God. Our vision statement is reaching people, building lives. But we're not building church. Jesus builds his church. And so when we are focusing on the church and us as a church family and what God has called us into, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be going about this series in a way to express our vision, express uh, some of the philosophical you know, um, nuances of our church and, and, and the things that we believe God has called us to do, both biblically but also specifically, which is always aligned with his word, not, not, not in, uh, in contradiction of it, but the way he has called us to do that in. We will be speaking a lot about how Jesus builds his church, what his role is and what our role is, and to make sure that we don't get those two confused. So often in the church world, we get, you know, we get um, preoccupied with just trying to build the church, build the church. And what happens when you do that is you, you lose the right focus. And when you lose the right focus, somebody always gets hurt. Jesus says, I will build my church. We are not concerned with building the church. We're not concerned with building our church. What we are concerned with is we're concerned with reaching the lost and we're concerned with building lives on the word of God, on the rock of Jesus to help people grow into the likeness of Christ. That is what we're concerned about. And as God adds people, we're able to create a, a, a group of influences that are able to make us more able to reach the lost and build lives on the rock of Jesus Christ. Jesus builds his church, not man, but Christ is building. And then he says this, and <laughs> you might have heard this preach before, but I want to show you something new today. On the rock of Peter, he says, I will build my church and on this rock, I will build it. What is that rock that he talks about? So often we've heard and he taught that he says that it's the revelation that Jesus is the son of God. 
the living God. He's the son of the living God. That truth is the, the cornerstone rock on which our faith is built or our church is built. But it's, it's always kind of befuddled me. Why would he change Peter's name, Simon's name in that moment? Why, 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 why state it in such a way that it's almost confusing? It might sound like the scripture verse there is saying that Simon, your name is now Peter and I will build my church on you, the apostle. And believe me, there have been sects of Christianity that have completely thought that. That the church is built on the apostle Peter. And, and, and now it's been, it's been very well um, retaught and, 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 and I believe corrected in the body of Christ. But then I always ask myself, so why say that? You are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Why say you are Peter? Why not just leave it out? Why not just say, yes, Simon, and on this rock <laughs> I will build my church? Well, I believe it's because Jesus didn't just say it's the truth of the fact that I am the son of the living God that I'm building my church on. He said that you are Peter. In other words, he put a man in a place of significance alongside the truth that he is the son of the living God. And that both those two things is the principle upon which he will build his church. I believe he says that it is through man that has the conviction that Jesus is the son of the living God, that he will build his church. You see, this reinstates a very old principle, a very old decision that God made. God made this decision way back in the beginning when he made man the first time. Can you guess what it is? In Genesis 1 verse 26, God, the Godhead is having a conversation in that perfect harmonious unity that they had. They had this conversation that says, let us make man. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And then one of the most laugh-altering decisions was made right there. And we miss it because it's such a small portion of scripture. But it literally sets up the principle with which and through which God will operate on earth. He says, let us make man in our image and let them rule. Have you read that? Have you realized the authority and the mandate that God has placed on you and I on this planet? He said, let us make man. And then he puts man in the place of governance on earth. He says, look, if you decide something is going to happen, it's going to happen. You have the capacity to make decisions and for good or bad. And whatever decisions you make, the consequence will flow out of that. It's just true. And so the fact that we're on earth here with a messed up world isn't just Satan's issue, a problem. No, it's ours too. Because we make horrible decisions. And God lets our decisions count. Because he decided way back in the beginning that this was the ordinance according to which this world will operate. It's not going to just be operated out of the supernatural. It's going to be operated out of the natural in conjunction with the supernatural. 
And that's why relationship between him and Adam was such an important aspect. It was so important that Adam would hear the heart of God and walk according to it. Because if he didn't, well, we know what happened, <laughs> right? So when Jesus says, look, I'm about to reinstate a people that will walk with me. I'm about to restart the old idea, the way I used to have it, the way I wanted it from the beginning, a people that will walk with me. What do you think he means when he says here, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. He's saying, you are Peter, you are a rock. You're created in my likeness to rule here. But now you will do it with the conviction that I am the son of the living God. And from now on, you will live out that truth in every aspect of your life. And the fact that I am the son of the living God, which means I am the king of all, now influences every single aspect of your life. It influences how you do every part of your life. Because there's always going to be a partnership between God and man, this side of the grave. Always. That means what you do matter. That means your job matters. You're thinking you're just a Derek can up there in the air. No, you're not. You're a kingdom citizen right there, placed there to influence this world with God's values, God's love, God's principles. Your actual job matters, not just what you do at the church. Not just what you do for church. Everything you do matters to God. And everything you do is meant to be incorporated into the kingdom of God and the kingdom's way of doing things. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. But that rock incorporates man. It puts us back in that place of governance, that place of authority, which means that we have authority. We have authority. Now we can use our authority for good and bad. We talk about the story of the Tower of Babel where man had unity, where they had one-mindedness of vision and, uh, and, and their plan was succeeding. They were exerting tremendous influence on the earth. Unfortunately, influence that was diametrically opposed to God's mandate that said, y'all need to go out. Y'all need to go and spread and subdue the earth, not just congregate together in one place. You need to subdue the whole earth. And it was in, in disobedience to him. that. They, but the fact of the matter is that they accomplished something amazing. We have authority and we can accomplish amazing things here on earth. But there's a couple of things that are needed. This is what he's saying. He's saying this church will be made of humans, not bricks. This church will be made of humans. It will, it will include men. Look, the church is not a building. It is a people. It always was and it always will be. A people that walk with God. And you know what we often miss is we miss the fact that the, the, the Hebrew language reveals certain mindsets about what Jesus had about the church. When Jesus compared this group of people, I will build my church, he didn't compare it to other religions and other faith systems at the, for all the time. He didn't compare it to the worshipers of Baal. He didn't compare it to the temple of the Jews. What did Jesus compare his church to? He compared his church to an official government entity. 
the ecclesia. Why would Jesus compare his people on earth to a governmental entity and not a faith entity? Because of governance mandate. Let them rule. And he was trying to bring that back. He was trying to put a people back in this place that would govern this place according to his kingdom's principles. So as you see how, how this sacred secular divide thing is just a complete miss of, of Christianity's goal. No, I have to, I have to just be at, at church and, and, and everything I do for the church is holy, but all the rest of it, I mean, can I just get through it? Thank God it's Friday. No, thank God it's Monday. Because now I get to go and practice my governance. I get to go and rule and reign with Christ in this life. But if we have our mindset on, no, this is just a religion, then religion don't fit into my normal life. But if I am a citizen that operates according to a new culture, it affects everything. It affects everything. The Bible says he lives within the sanctuary of our hearts, not in temples made by human hands. Now, we need buildings to congregate. We need, you know, things like that to help us to, to, uh, to, to train up and to raise up and to, you know, so that we can all grow together and we can share the thoughts that, that, that unify us and, and, and enables us and empowers us to be able to go out and do the governance. But that's all they're good for. They're good for their purpose and that's to serve us. It's not holy. That's why we can meet in a cinema, which, you know, two Sundays back they watched, you know, Chainsaw Massacre. No, they didn't. But by the way, it could have been, you know. Why can we sit here and have a holy moment? Because we're the church. In fact, what we did when we came in here is we sanctified this place. We don't need a holy place. We sanctify the place we get into because we're the church. Now, will we have a place? Yes, we will have a place. But that place is not going to be called the house of the Lord. No, we're the house of the Lord. Where we go, he's present. He dwells. Where we worship, he dwells in our worship. The Bible says he, he um, what's that verse? He inhabits the high praise of his people. When we get to that place where we're just praising God and getting lost in His presence, that's, that's where His presence manifests in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. It manifests in our physical bodies. You can get healed right there in your seat without nobody praying over you. Why? Because the presence of God is here. So, so often we've, we've limited the church. We've limited ourselves because of this religious mindset. Instead of having a kingdom mindset, a governance mindset where we come, God shows up and we take over. Now what is meant to happen is the very same thing. We've showed up in Crowley now, didn't we? What are we meant to do? Take over, inhabit, enforce God's rule, God's reign, God's way of thinking. Enforce His way of doing things in your school, in your class, in your, in your university, in your job, in your office, in your, whatever the case may be, in your business. That's where you get to govern. That's where you get to express the kingdom. It's us. We are the church. And then he says, this church will overcome the powers of hell. Why will it overcome the powers of hell? Well, we spoke about that last week. Can you remember how quiet it was last week in the church? (laughs) 
a new understanding of my righteousness. I am no longer characterized by my sin. I am characterized by my new nature. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's why the powers of hell will never overcome us. Because the hell, the, uh, uh, hell, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, um, depends. Hell depends on your and my inability to achieve righteousness. That's what hell depends on. It depends on the fact that God is holy and man is not. Before Christ, man is not. And therefore, man can never become holy. That's what hell depends on. But the church of Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. And so hell has got nothing on us anymore. Because we are no longer sinners. We have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not by our own good works and not by our effort. But by the will of God. Somebody said in this week, I can't remember, I would have quoted him. But by the way, I want to share what he shared. Because it stood out for me so much. He said, Jesus shouldn't be your role model. Jesus is not supposed to show us the way to get to heaven. Jesus is the way to heaven. What's the difference, you ask? It's simply this. If Jesus shows you the way to heaven, you still have to walk all the way there in your own power. But if Jesus is the way, he walked it on your behalf and you were basically piggybacking for a good ride. That is the difference between a religion and the grace of Jesus Christ. The fact that you couldn't do it on your own. He doesn't, now I understand when it comes to moral standards, he did model God's will in all things. And when we say we want to become like Christ, it is. But why is it? It's because we want to honor God, not earn our salvation. Y'all get it? Get the difference? So to conclude, Jesus is our role model, but he's, he is our role model. But we must first establish the fact that he is not the one that shows us how to get to heaven. He is our way to heaven. He is the way to heaven. If you don't catch the difference, you're going to be stuck in a performance mentality, always still wanting to please God to see if you are saved. But once you get that he is your way to heaven, your faith has given him uh, as you access to his grace. Your salvation has been secured in him. The Holy Spirit has been laid, you know, given into your heart. It says it's a seal unto the day of salvation. It seals me. Yes, I still sin. Yes, I still make mistakes. But it doesn't break into the core of my righteousness because of the grace of God. So the powers of hell can never overcome us. Why? Because not even death can overcome us. Even if we die in Christ, we live. And so we have nothing to fear. We've literally got nothing to fear. And then it says, he says in this portion of scripture, the keys of the kingdom will be given to man to use to bring heaven's reality to earth. He says to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. So what is he saying? He's saying, I'm putting you back in charge. I'm putting you back in charge. You've got the keys now. If you're given a key to something, you have access to use the resources thereof for the purposes of what they were designed, right? 
If I give you a key to my office and I tell you, hey, this is what this office is meant for. Don't come in and throw, you know, parties and drinking in my office. It's not what it was meant for, right? You have authority to do there whatever is meant for. We have been given keys to the kingdom of heaven. And so we have authority here to do whatever it was meant for. It wasn't meant for sin. But it was meant for righteousness. It was meant for good things. And so God says, you're back in charge now. But here's how you are to be in charge. Listen to how it says it in, in, in Matthew. And after this, we'll move into um, an application moment for this. It says, I will give you the keys of the holy nation of heaven. Whatever you do not allow on earth will not have been allowed in heaven. You have to read this verse from the point of not whatever you allow will have not been allowed in heaven, like we're the ones initiating what is allowed or what's not allowed. Now, this is more like an assignment God is giving Peter. He says to him, look, you are going to enact everything that heaven has already approved. You're going to live out everything that has been mandated by heaven. And everything that has not been mandated by heaven, you're going to stand against. You're going to resist. That's how you ought to read this verse. It's not like we decide what is happening or what shouldn't happen. No, no, no. We recognize what have not been allowed or what has been allowed. And now we're the representative governing entity on earth that is supposed to make that happen or to resist that from happening. And so we, we learn from the kingdom. We learn from this relationship with we, that we have with God. And then we stand for righteousness in our world, no matter where we are, no matter what we do. We stand up for what is right. We stand for what is true. But we also obey and do what God has called us to do. That is what this verse means. It means that this church that Jesus is building is going to be a co-laboring. Does that sound familiar? A co-laboring between man and the Holy Spirit here on earth. And each of us have our role. And for so, many, for so many reasons, for so many things, often the church falls short of its role and it tries to assume the role of Christ. And throughout this sermon series, we're going to talk about that. This chapter with these couple of verses lays the foundation of how God will operate with his church and what the church is meant to do. And so as we move forward in it, we, are, we understand, therefore, the importance of being part of a local church. Because this is how he always wanted us. He always wanted man to, 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 to walk this out together. Okay? So, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Do you believe that it's a necessary part, that it's necessary to be part of a local church? Find your answer in your brain. You can just hold it there. Okay? I absolutely believe that it is a necessary part. For one reason, that I know how earth works. And earth works with pressure. It does. If you pressure something enough, it happens. Or it breaks. <laughs> My dad always used to say, if, you're not, if violence isn't working, you're not, you're not using enough. Um, we won't go there today. <laughs> but earth works with pressure. And the kingdom of God has to understand that it is operating on a normal earth. The spiritual world has to reckon with the normal aspects of the earth. The fact that our earth has limited physical resources. The spiritual world contends with that. 
Now, it can supersede it. It can overcome it. But have you, have you seen that sometimes there's a discrepancy between the truth that the spirit world declares over us and the actual reality that we face? Sometimes we pray for healing and it's, it's not forthcoming. Why? I believe it's pressure. I believe it's a contention. I believe there's a war. There's a tug and there's a... And, 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 and that's why it is often necessary for continued prayer. Why Jesus said prayer and fasting, which means tarrying in the presence of God and petitioning and continuing to ask until something breaks through. It's about a pressure. And it doesn't mean that we're not believing the first time that we prayed whether God was going to do it. No, it just means that the spirit world is contending with the natural and other spiritual forces that are close to our natural world. Talk about the story of Daniel. When Daniel prayed to God, the angel after three weeks came and said, look, God responded the day you prayed. But it took me three weeks to break through the spiritual forces. But guess what? Daniel was continuing to pray. Daniel continued to pray. Daniel continued to pray. It's a pressure thing. And so often we have to up the pressure as Christians. We have to pray. We have to pray and intercede. And we have to ask and petition. And when the battle gets harder, we have to pray more. We have to rise up. We have to say, this will happen. That's why the theology of open doors is not, it's not a biblical thing. Sometimes you have to pray a door open. Because it's the will of God. Sometimes you have to, see, see, we go, I've prayed once and they didn't get healed. It mustn't be the will of God. Now, I don't have all the answers concerning, concerning this, but I do know this, that sometimes we just stop praying too fast. Very often we just stop trusting God. And he was always going to come through. He was always going to answer. Sometimes we gave up. It's a call for us to understand our place. Guys, we have been placed in governance. You have to take your stand and you have to nail your mast in the ground and you have to put your colors to that man and say, this is where I stand. And I am going to trust God on this, on this place for something to happen. Because it's a co-laboring. If the church does not take its place, there was that one quote that says, for evil to prevail, good men has to do nothing. If you do nothing, evil will prevail around you. When you start standing up for evil, you're enlisting for a fight. But we are the ecclesia of God. We are supposed to stand what heaven has mandated and resist what heaven has not mandated. It is our call. It's time we take our place. It's time we take our place. Now, when a group of 80 or 90 of us here say, this is what we're going to stand on and stand for. What we're creating is we're creating a unity pressure. Sorry, I wanted to drink more some of this for long. Not a single person in this room can change the city of Crowley and its surrounding villages on their own. We can't, no matter how hard we try. And you know what? People who try to do it on their own sometimes start doing things in the flesh. Why? Because you'll be frustrated. You'll be resisted. You'll be discouraged. You'll be frustrated. And then you will give up because you can't do it on your own. And I believe that is one of the reasons why it is so important for us to build together. 
We are better together. We are stronger together. We have more pressure together. If we believe the same thing and aim for the same thing and try and achieve the same thing in the city, we'll achieve it. We'll see this place change for the glory of God. We will. But it's going to take a couple of people that, that say, look, things can't just go on like they've been going. We need to do something about that. We need to start banding together and seeing change happen. The way our church has chosen to do things is to reach people and build their lives on the rock of Jesus Christ and to build deep enough so that our lives are not just Sunday Christianity, but our lives become kingdom influence every single aspect of our lives. And so what we needed is it's needed for us to build relationally tight enough so that I can start understanding how you live in your job. I can start understanding what decisions you make in your relationships. And not just me, us. And so that we can say, hey, can we talk about that, please? Because the way you do that does not reflect the kingdom culture. But before we are able to do that, we have to come to that agreement where we all say to each other, okay, good. We're not going to build this church on any ethnic or nationalistic culture we're going to build it on kingdom culture in other words when the kingdom says no what did we say if the kingdom didn't mandate it we have to resist it and we have to know each other well enough so that we can go hey the way you do that that's not kingdom culture can can, can we focus in on that and start training our faith muscles to break through in that area in our lives so that our lives in that area might start lining up more with a kingdom's value system, with the kingdom's way of doing things. What am I describing? I'm describing in non-religious terms what you've all been knowing, making disciples, being a witness, testifying about your faith, reaching out to people, Helping people to, 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 to get certain things out of their lives. But see, when, when we say those things in religious terms, nothing changes because we, we almost know, okay, I've been doing that. Maybe you have been doing that. But for those of you who have not really stepped into that, I want to encourage you, this is where we're going. We're about to become an influence, influencer in the city like never before. And guess what? It's not going to happen through Facebook. And it's not going to happen through social media or through, through, through our services that are streaming online. Hi, everybody watching online. Welcome. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not against that. But it is not going to happen through that. It's going to happen through each and every one of us living kingdom culture in our Monday to Sunday. That's how it's going to happen. That's how it's going to happen. So the way you run your business is going to be different from the way the world runs it. The way you respond to conflict is going to be different than what the world does. But what happens is often we get disillusioned, we get disappointed, we get hurt. So I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been in a place where you were disappointed, where you were hurt, let down in church? And can you see now how important it is that those things get dealt with so quickly so thoroughly in such a a healthy way because if we break people out of this unity or if people want to withdraw out of this we're losing pressure we're losing pressure and right now we're pressure building 
We're pressure building. Each of us are, are, are stepping into something that's new, that's fresh. We're going we're gonna to change this place for Jesus. We're pressure building. And we're building a new culture of kingdom-mindedness. We're starting to think more about, not, this is not a religion. This is a, this is a, a, a place of, 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 of you know, responsibility that God has placed us in. That this revelation of Him being the Son of God needs to influence every aspect of our lives. And, but it's going to take a little time for us to grow accustomed to that. And so that's why it's so important that you, you don't miss a Sunday. It's so important that you don't, don't get dis- be disconnected from life groups. You stay in those because even if they don't talk about this, what they're talking about is building pressure. It's building pressure. It's building inner capacity. Every time you discover something in the Word of God that you align your life to, we're building pressure. We're building pressure. If you've aligned your life to it, you can help another person align their lives to it. Discipleship is real, real simple. If you've done it, you can help somebody else go through it. You don't have to have a degree. But that's what we're doing. We're building together. We're building closer toward one another. And not everybody's going to know everybody, and that's okay. But you have to be known by somebody. Why? Because somebody has to start looking at your culture, your personal culture, and they have to ask you, hmm, can we look together at your personal culture? Which aspects of your personal culture is not in alignment with kingdom culture? And can we start step by step by step by step, taking steps toward building kingdom culture in our lives? If you do that with person X next to you, and they do that with somebody else next to you, we are going to maximize and we're going to exponentially uh, grow our pressure. And very soon you'll see us able to impact this the city in ways that we've never been, never would think would be possible. Impact beyond this city. Take what we've, what we've built here, take what we've discovered here and export it to other places and help them see how they can bring change to their cities, not just exist and survive in their cities. But this thing about church hurt is real. And, you know, relationships are fundamental to the church's existence. And it's fundamental to our success. To transform a place. It is. And that's why the enemy is so eager to break relationships. It's so eager for you to take offense. The enemy is so eager for you to misunderstand and to, and, and, and to withdraw and say, I don't, want anything, I don't want to be a part of that. So eager. Why? Because until you rejoin, pressure is lost. It's like there's a hole and it's letting out steam. And the more of that happens, the more deflated a thing becomes. And tell me this. What influences, I don't want to, I'm, I'm reconsidering whether I want to say this because I don't want to be dishonoring, but it just is a fact of the matter that some churches have lost so much steam that they, they are no longer an influence. They don't, they don't speak to this generation anymore. And it's sad, and we will never, we will never dis, dis, um, acknowledge them. They're part of us. And I wish that they would, they, would, they would plug those holes and start building steam again, building pressure again. So we, we need all the churches in this town to, to really change this place for Jesus. I bless every single church there is because if they're not against us, they're for us. But so do we have to be careful because the relational hmm, things that happen can so quickly cause us to also lose steam. We're nothing special, y'all. We're just the same human beings. And where there's people, there's problems. That's why we have to live so close to Jesus. 
Because it can happen to us too. It can. And the minute we think it won't, it will. Because the enemy will catch us off guard. And things will start pulling us apart. Things will start coming and you know, driving wedges between people. And the minute that happens, the enemy wins because pressure is lost. Influence is compromised. And sometimes, you know, these church hurt things happen, happen unintentionally. You know, a decision gets made that you didn't appreciate or didn't, didn't fit your, um, you know, your reality and, and, it, and, it, and it disappointed you. Or sometimes, you know, it's just, you, you were asked too much for too long. And that I'm real sensitive about how much we ask of people. Because I don't want to, I want you to come to that place where you, you can't do it. You just can't do it any longer. And you have to literally just say, here, toss it back. And, and, and I would rather talk faster, talk sooner, and see how we can start raising up somebody that can take over, over time, than you going and saying, oh, I've, I've, I've held my peace for so long, but I can't any longer. And then you just throw it up and you run away. And somebody else has to catch quick, quick, quick. That's the way we, we, we you know, that's the way we get hurt. If we, if we, it's unintentional, but it happens. Unmet expectations. You know, you, you thought that you would be able to do something by now, but you, but, you, but you weren't asked. Let's talk. Sometimes church hurt happens intentionally. You know, sometimes there's spiritual abuse. Like the, the leader will manipulate you into doing things. You know, for the sake of the kingdom, you have to do this, brother. Don't you think Jesus laid down his life? Jesus died. Don't you want to die? Why don't you want to die? Well, goodness, dude. <laughs> There's spiritual manipulation. I hope it's not in our church from anybody. We're not serving here out of guilt or out of, out of, you know, out of you know, worry that we're going to disappoint Jesus. If you're not serving here out of delight, stop. Pause. Let's talk about that. Where's your delight gone to? What happened? What caused it to disappear? Because when I last spoke to you, you were excited about this. Sometimes it's just, it is a matter of little perseverance, but other times it is real, real and we need to talk through it and we will. But sometimes it, things like that happen and, you know, and it's intentional. People telling your business. Man, they broke the confidentiality code. They broke my trust. How can I, how can I step back into that? Sometimes it's, you know, people handling, mishandling money or, you know, pastors falling in sin and things like that. It, it breaks our trust. It hurts us. Whether it's unintentional, whether it's intentional, it hurts. And God does not want that to happen. The church is supposed to be a place of healing, not hurt, safety, not sorrow, purpose, not pain, hope, not hate, grace, not gossip. It's a place of worship, not of wounding. And if in any form or way the church has not held up that, their end of the bargain, we need to deal with that. We need to deal with that because if you walk away, we lose. We all lose. Not only do you lose, we all lose. The kingdom of God loses. Anywhere there are people, there will be problems. Church hurt is not anything new. Like, I mean, you read the New Testament, there was church hurt, you know. Uh, Act 6 verse 1, a group of a group of followers was getting larger. The Greek-speaking Jews um, in the group complained against the Jews living in the country around Jerusalem. And they were saying that their widows, actually their widows, um, okay, women whose husband had died, which, new living translation, you had to explain what a widow is, that's good. It's a, no, no worries, no worries, we, we can go with that. That their women whose husbands had died were not taken care of when food was given out each day. So think about this, the humanity 
It's a part of the church. There was food that could be distributed, and guess what? The Jews, who didn't necessarily like the Greeks, even though they were Christians, focused on giving food to the, the Hebrew Christians first before they gave food to the Greek Christians. <laughs> right? That smacks of prejudice, by the way. But the, nonetheless, church hurt right there. Right? 1 Corinthians 3. You still live as men who are not Christians. When you are jealous and fight with each other, you are still living in sin and acting like sinful men in the world. When one says, I'm a follower of Paul and I'm a follower of Apollos, does this not sound like the talk of baby Christians? It's Paul who said that, not me. Okay, so leave Paul's church, don't leave my church. Okay. <laughs> First Corinthians 5. Someone has told me about sex and sins among you. Is it so bad that even the people who do not know God would... It's so bad that even the people who do not know God would not do it. Did you get that, what I just said? The bad guys don't even do it, but you do it? I have been told that one of the men is living with his father's wife as though it is his wife. Instead of being sorry, you are proud of yourselves. The man who is living like that should be sent away from you. There was so much brokenness in the early church. We sometimes, um, you know, glorify the early church. It's like, oh, if we can just be the Acts church. <laughs> Listen to me. The Acts church were messed up. Why? Because they were humans like we are. They were humans like we are. Paul dealt with hurt himself. Alexander, the man who makes things out of copper, worked hard against me. The Lord will give him the pay that is coming to him. Watch him. He fought against every word we preached. That doesn't sound like, like a guy, <laughs> you know, the apostle Paul, the holy man. He says, like, he's, got, he's got his own coming. What, comes, what goes around comes around. <laughs> okay, Paul. Um, Paul was also just a man. He wasn't without sin. Doesn't mean that we have to have that same um, attitude. The Lord will give him the pay that's coming to him. Watch him. He fought against us. Everyone left me. I hope this will not be held against him. But the Lord was with me. Paul was disappointed. He was hurt. Sometimes we think that, you know, people are the best and the worst parts of church. <laughs> but why can't we say that? Are we supposed to live in an illusion that everything's going to be just fine and dandy? No, <laughs> we have to face those facts and, have, and learn how to deal with them. Yes. You know, if, if, you don't know how to, if you don't expect them to happen, you'll never prepare yourself to deal with them. But if you know that, hey, listen, I'm a fickle person. I'm going to offend you. I'll apologize beforehand. And when I did, I'll apologize more sincerely and try to fix it. But so do all of we have, uh, have to have that heart because we know we're going to hurt people. In a, in a series we did, we called it Stop Going to Church. And really, we didn't mean stop going to church. We just meant like stop just being, you know, people that use us a Sunday service as their only expression of their Christianity. Um, we addressed the issue that a church is not a hotel for the comfortable. It's a, it's a hospital for the sick and the broken. And so you've got to expect where there's sick and broken people. Look, that, 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 that old... Saying is true that hurt people hurt people. It's very true. 
But here's what happens when we don't deal with hurt, okay? Unhealed church hurt will lead to a place where your perspective is hindered. You start seeing everything that happens through the filter of hurt. So now somebody don't walk past you and don't greet you, and what, what do you see? He thinks he's better than me. No, he just was distracted by his kid pulling on his leg. But you can't see that because your perspective is so skewed because now you're you're seeing everything through the hurt perspective. So if you have church hurt, you have to realize that your perspective needs healing too. It paralyzes your pursuit of of purpose. What's the first thing that happens when people get hurt in church? They stop being involved. They don't necessarily leave altogether at first, but they just start drawing back maybe a little bit. Why? Because it's safer to have things at a distance. And you just step out of what the purpose that God has called you here for was in the first place. It tarnishes your ability to trust people and trust is the foundation of all relationships. Hurt makes you skeptical and skepticism halts relational growth. When you're skeptical of somebody, you'll keep them at an arm's length and you won't allow them closer. Well, the kingdom of God needs us to get closer so that we can see each other and know each other according to the Spirit, right? And then you become cynical of the church. And the last part is you become cynical of the truth. I mean, you're cynical of the truth. Your own salvation definitely is in trouble because if you lose your, your, your faith, if you lose your confession of faith, if you start making a different confession, that's the only place that you find yourself where you're in danger. If you don't any longer acknowledge Jesus as the son of the living God, it puts you in danger of losing your salvation. And that's the only way. Or if you start trying to prove it again through your righteous works, your own righteous works, and not through your faith that you have in Jesus. God's intention is always for us to heal so we can run with him again unhindered. God's intention for you is to be healed so that you can be a part of this church that he is building in this city that wants, he wants to see his kingdom come through in this city. How can we bring heaven to earth if we can't mend our relationships or influence our community if we can't stand each other, or unify people out there who's, uni- who's, who's um, divided by, by race, by class, <clears throat> or you know, if, um, nationality. How can we unite if we ourselves can't even risk trusting each other in the same spiritual family? It is absolutely necessary that we deal with church hurt. Whereas the saying is true, hurt people hurt people. Sometimes when healthy people hurt you, it cuts the deepest. People you never thought would do it usually pains the most. So here's what I want to do. Have you been hurt in our church? Have you been disappointed? Maybe you've been kind of at an arm's length not trying to fully jump in because either we did something, say something, somebody said something, something was decided or, and it hurt you. I know that for, 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 a, for a, a number of you, the, the leadership transition to Esther and I was hurtful. And it's okay. 
It's understandable. We're not going to hold it against you. We don't feel less called here because you were hurt by us coming here. But we do want to get to a place where we can walk together moving forward. Maybe you got hurt because we didn't help you enough in your marriage or we weren't there for you in a crisis or, you know, our decisions went against your wishes. Somebody betrayed your trust. You were asked to serve without rest. Whatever the reason is that you felt that you were disappointed, that you got hurt. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to help us here today to to release His oil, His balm, healing balm over our congregation because the Holy Spirit, um, sorry, the Psalm 34 verse 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and He saves those who are crushed in their spirit. God is here today and He wants you to heal so that you can continue to walk with us and move with us into what God is doing next. And so I want to start off by repenting. I am asking you to forgive us if you got hurt through our church. Even if you got hurt through our church before we were even here. And maybe this is a message that's, that's not for us here. Maybe this is a message that's more for some of the people who aren't here. And maybe you can help me get this message out to such people that we want to make amends because it is so important to the kingdom of God that we humble ourselves and we ask forgiveness and we ask for an opportunity to rebuild trust so that God's purposes through our church can prevail. We want to do better. We want to walk more accurately according to the love and the truth of God's word. And we're asking you for an opportunity to do that so that we might rebuild trust. So if you know of somebody that needs that, to know that we do feel sad about what they went through and that we do want to make it right, let them know. Let them know. This is a standing offer that won't expire. If you want to come and talk about what you went through, we will listen and we will seek to understand. We won't preach at you. We won't try and change your mind. We will ask for forgiveness and ask you for an opportunity to rebuild together again. You see, the, the, the thing is that God uses the church to heal church hurt. <laughs> and if you run away from the church, you run away from the opportunity to step into healing, to move past it. And the enemy is fighting hard to keep you from it. And I'm asking you to not give in to that. Step into that dangerous space of having the conversation with us or with anybody that you feel you might have had a moment of conflict with. You know, and if somebody approaches you, do what we will do. Ask them for forgiveness. Even if you didn't mean it, Don't explain it away. You know, it's not an apology if you tell somebody you misunderstood me. It's an apology if you said, I'm so sorry that that hurt you. Please forgive me. How can I do it better next time? What could I have done different to have prevented me hurting you? That's a true apology. And if somebody comes and tells you something, just do that. And you will see the opportunity to heal 
come to the person in front of you. And I want to say this, we're about to go into one of the most exciting seasons of our church yet. I can't wait for God to break it open for all of us. Um, And I don't want anybody to miss out. Look, if you've been a part of this thing, you know, you deserve to be a part of what God's going to do next. You deserve to be a part of what God wants to do through our Savior's Church in Crowley. Don't let the past prevent you from stepping into what rightfully should be you, including you for God's future for this church. So I'm just excited because, you know, I've seen many people that have come and have stepped into that place and are now thriving again. And I want that for every single person so that this ecclesia, this governing body that God has placed here in this region might step into its influence that God has placed, God had meant for it to have here. So the kingdom of God might come here through each and every one of us. Um, and then I want to pray for us today. Would you stand with me? But I want, I want you to, when you stand, just close your eyes and if you've experienced church hurt and I really believe God wants you to know that there is a life beyond it. So let's pray and, and ask God to help us here. You need to know that what happened was wrong and we acknowledge that. You need to know that we are sad to have seen that happen and that we want to change it. We want to change it. And so I'm asking you right now where you're at, will you release that to God? Let's just take a moment now, everybody with them and by themselves and the Holy Spirit. If it's something that you can acknowledge and something you want to just put before the Lord, and us here if there's something that you're able to lay down today and just extend forgiveness to those who hurt you would you mind just raising your hand where you're at so we can also pray and help you agree with you on what needs to happen thank you I see those hands thank you thank you anybody else want to just acknowledge this God's presence here today God wants to bring healing to your heart the healing comes first through you releasing it to him by forgiving the people that hurt you why don't you place those people right now place them in God's hands why don't you ask God to bless them and help them and grow them that's how you release it unto him how you allow him to completely take care of the situation you no longer have to deal with it father we come in jesus name and and just ask for your healing to reach our hearts right now father you're you're wanting to raise us up in this place to represent you to this world I pray, Lord, that you'll help us. As we pray, I want to read Ephesians 4 for us as we close. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, Paul is speaking, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, 
bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ in God, as, as God in Christ forgave you. Father, I pray that you will heal our hurts and our offenses, that we would lay it down today, Lord God, and that we will seek reconciliation with one another, and that we will look forward together to the amazing future that you have for us. Our greatest days are ahead of us, Lord. You always lead us into our greatest days. And Father, I pray that your blessing might come upon us, Lord, as we humble ourselves, Father, and we are willing to, to, to repent to one another and, and seek for one another's well-being and, and seek to love and care and compassionately respond to one another, to one another's hurts, Lord God. That you might create in us a community of people that can bring healing to, the, to those who are on the outside. Who need to see a place where people are truly walking in health. Who need to see a place where people are able to overlook, like your word says, Love covers a multitude of sin. And Father, may we just glorify you in that, in our relationships, so that this church, Father, might become everything you have meant for us to be in this region. We bless you today in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Father. Amen.